This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show that knows that's not a knife this is a knife <laughs> i wasn't ready for that that's Why would uh, you yeah be? this movie is entirely about a knife that's when you think about it when you break it down a knife and this knife it talks it's got teeth it's got arms sometimes and sometimes it's just uh, an inanimate object sometimes it can crawl at you sometimes it's it's just a knife and sometimes it's voiced by Frank fucking Welker which is wild uh that's not a knife this is a knife why 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 is this knife a thing i don't know I wish. and why do they do so many close ups on the the hilt of this thing or the the pommel or whatever it is like Oh, God, nightmares about this knife. They're just showing off their sweet, sweet 1994 CGI abilities. <laughs> We're going to get there. Uh, it should be noted that this week we are talking about one of the most recommended movies that gets thrown to us <laughs> all the time. And I get why now. I recommended or it. just suggested? Requested? That's fair. I, I feel like people know us ridiculously well. It and they know like our sweet spot of like, Hey, this movie's ridiculous. You're going to love it. Yeah. And hey, the sun is shining. <laughs> yes. Yes. Everyone knew we liked this one. Everyone. It's like, they just listeners, no. The shadow knows. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Who knows? The shadow knows. Now you got to, hold on, now, uh, pause so you can laugh for five minutes. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Uh, we are talking about The Shadow from 1994, directed by famous director Russell Mulcahy, of course. Of course. Of course. There can only be one. Who else would you send in to direct this feature film? The guy who did Highlander. Exactly. Have you ever seen this thing before? Hell no. Give me your thoughts very quickly before oh, we man. dive into this. How, how much fun can you possibly have in an 108 minutes? That's very, 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 very fair. Now, have you seen it before? Absolutely not. Of course not. And the weirder part about this is I was sitting around today. I went to an aquarium with the kids, and I got Naturally. to watch a seal just sit in front of a vent for like 10 minutes, and I was jealous of it. <laughs> I was just jealous because it's just his, it's like when you put your face in front of like a leaf blower or something, it makes your cheeks all puffy, and, and yeah. you're like, man, live your best life. And that's what the seal was doing. And then when I walked away and I got back to reality, I was like, man, I got to talk about the shadow tonight. And my first thought was, what the fuck was the shadow about? <laughs> and I legitimately couldn't remember anything about this movie until I reread the plot on Wikipedia. Because yeah. I was like, did this thing just wash over me? And like, I experienced it, but I don't, it, it didn't sit in the brain at all. It took me two and a half viewings before I was like, oh, okay. But no, I've never seen this thing before. <laughs> yeah. A fun fact about that seal at the aquarium. After you left, it married Heidi Klum. Lucky seal. Living his best life. So you could be suggesting that that seal got its face caught in the vent, and that's why it ended up looking like it did eventually. 
uh, I was not going to go that way, but I like that there's a connecting tissue here. Well, or as the case may be, a disconnected tissue. It's like one of those things of, of like, it's a trade-off. You're going to have the voice of an angel, but the face of a monster. And that's why you shouldn't start kissing roses or whatever that song is about. <laughs> whatever this song is about. You want to talk about the shadow? Yeah, let's talk about the shadow. Synopsis form? Synopsis form. (laughs) Let's do it. In Tibet, following World War I, Alec Baldwin has grown out his hair and fingernails and emerged as a warlord and opium kingpin known as Yingko. I like how they have him like in shadow, and then when it shows him, it's actually a little bit weird because you're like, it's super "What the hell?" Weird. I wasn't ready for that. I should have been. I wasn't. This guy knew what it was. I just didn't expect it to be so Alec Baldwin-y. It's so Alec Baldwin-y, but with like long painted fingernails. Exactly. And terrible hair. It's very bad. When we meet Yinko, his men, including Al Fucking Leong, and I think just briefly, time out. Okay. Al Leong. We often praise this man. I found out that there is a documentary about him. Are you kidding me? It is called Henchman, the Al Leong Story. Oh my God, that is so good. It came out in 2018, and it is available to rent on Amazon.com, but only in standard definition. That's fine. Which Give is me any Al Leong, and it's still not ideal. enough Al Leong for my life. <laughs> so, you know, in case you're wondering... Have you ever seen Al Young's wedding announcement? No. It's a picture of him holding a knife. Of course. And it says, if the thought of this man marrying your daughter bothers you, relax. He's marrying ours. <laughs> <laughs> it's from, obviously, the father of the bride. But it's just absolutely fantastic. It's such a creepy picture of him, and it's perfect. That's and so Al Young is a national treasure, and he should be cherished, and there should be statues to that man everywhere. Yes. And, you know, anytime he has a cameo, it's going to be a good day. Absolutely. So Yinko's men have captured an enemy, Li Peng, played by James Hong, and they brought him before Yinko. And Li Peng manages to take a hold of one of Yinko's men at knife point and tells Yinko that if he's killed, his brothers will seek vengeance. So Yinko has his henchmen shoot through his, quote, <laughs> friend and father figure to take out Li Peng. It's pretty badass because he starts walking away and he's like, you were like a father to me. Shoot through that man. Through I like him. how they, it, like in any other movie, they would do that like nod of like understanding of like, oh, do it. And then he would shoot through him. And this one, he's just like, yeah, shoot through him. <laughs> the guy's like, wait, Actual what? line of dollar. Shoot through him. Shoot okay. through him. I have an actual IMDb f- trivia fact already. Oh, that was fast. In the first scene, when Li Peng takes Wu as a hostage, the joke is not subtitled or translated. In Thai, Ying Ko says, but too much like my father. Okay, what a joke. Yeah, because there's a line after he gets shot that Alec Baldwin delivers in Thai that does not get translated, and you're just like left wondering, what the hell did he just say? They should have left it a mystery and not stupid. IMDb ruined it. <laughs> they really did. What a shock. Revealing the stupid line. IMDb is uh, the place you want to go if you want your life ruined. That night, Yinko was abducted by servants of the Tulku, who's played by... Brady Surutani. Sure. And voiced by Barry Denon. Sure. He's in one scene of this movie. I'm glad you gave him props. Uh, is he wearing a bald cap? I don't know. Because it's weird. Everything it about weird. this is weird. Because he also like looks like a child, but then he sounds But then he like talks a, like a man. man. Yeah. It's, all of it's weird. That's Every Barry bit of Denon it. Barry Denon for you doing the voice for, for this child, this bald child. 
The Tulku is a holy man who exhibits otherworldly powers and knows Alec Baldwin's true identity, Lamont Cranston. What a name. What a name. (laughs) And he offers Cranston a chance to redeem himself and become a force for good. And Cranston arrogantly refuses, but is silenced by the Furba, the aforementioned mystical sentient flying dagger. He fights a knife, a little knife. He fights a knife. That's what he does, and it goes on for forever. For so long, he's fighting this knife. And then ultimately, Cranston remains under the tutelage of Tulku for seven years. Right. (laughs) He's like, all right, I can't beat your knife. I guess I'll study under you for the next almost a decade. I'm pretty sure that's how it all works all the time. If you lose to a knife, now you're a student. Now you got to learn from the guy who tried to kill you. In addition to undergoing rigorous physical training, he learns mind control abilities such as hypnotism mind reading, telekinesis, and to bend people's perceptions so that he cannot be seen, except for his shadow. I like how they, like, covered all the bases. All of them. Every single one, it's like, you're going to be pretty much unbeatable here. So uh, go about your life, rich man, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we've taught you all the things. Glad we decided beforehand that you were going to be good now. And, uh, you know, have fun. Get out there. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be invisible. You could turn into a shadow. Also, I forgot to mention... We're giving you the power to laugh for like so long. For so long. For Just so long. The power of obnoxious laughter. He got that one in spades. <laughs> After completing his training, Cranston returns to, quote, the most wretched layer of villainy, New York City. Ah, what a joke. On a bridge in the middle of the night, a group of mobsters intend to throw Dr. Roy Tam, played by Sam Shimono, into the river below, wearing the classic concrete boots. Of course, as you do. It's New York, baby. Fucking New York. Fucking New York. Their plan is interrupted by an invisible laughing madman taunting them. So the bad guys shoot around for a little while, only to start getting beat up by a shadow. Once the mobsters agree to confess and turn themselves in, the shadow is revealed with his fun hat and his long cape and his giant nose and bandana (laughs) that barely covers his mouth. Oh, when I first saw him, I'm like, first of all, why do you need a disguise? You're an invisible man. You're- Secondly, <laughs> you look ridiculous. I love that there's there's like a shape-shifting component happening here. I don't There's I have my first caped IMB trivia <laughs> fact. <laughs> this doesn't surprise me at all. You could probably double dip here if you really wanted to. Dr. Fauci hates this film due to the way the shadow wears his face covering. He wears it just over his mouth, and his big schnoz is just out there. Just, uh, I mean, how could you possibly cover up that schnoz? But it's insane because you're covering up just the mouth, and you're shape-shifting your face, and also you're invisible. Completely unnecessary. Like you're tripling down on this redundancy, really. (laughs) Hey, you gotta protect your identity no matter the cost. And he does! He really does. Kind of. He pulls the mask down at the end, you're just like, you still... Look nothing like you should. It's a great disguise. (laughs) It's a fantastic disguise. But also, you know, you're going to reveal your your actual identity to several people along the way. You sure are. And one of them we're going to get to shortly. (laughs) This is insane. (laughs) It's bonkers. The Shadow and Dr. Tam get into a cab driven by the Shadow's most loyal agent, Mo Shrevnitz, played by Peter fucking Boyle. It's Peter Boyle all over the screen. I love it. Oh, my God. When are you ever upset to see Peter Boyle? The answer never. is never. Never, never, never. Another treasure. Uh, I need statues of him holding hands with Ali Young. Together. Absolutely. There's so many treasures in this movie. We'll get there. We will get there. 
The Shadow tells Dr. Tran that he's also now one of his agents, and he has no say in the matter. It's just, I saved your life, and now it belongs to me. And that's something heroes always say. Right. I saved your life, and now welcome to indentured servitude. <laughs> when prompted, the sun is shining, he's to respond, but the ice is slippery. And that's how you know you're talking to one of the agents of the Shadow. What a code phrase. Whoa. <laughs> Do you know how often people just say the sun is shining? And you're supposed to always say, but the ice is slippery. Just, just Well, you're case. waiting for that response back. Yeah, I get it. But like, what if you're sitting out in Rockefeller Center in 1930 and you're just like, oh, the sun is shining. And then your date just goes, yeah, but that ice is slippery. And then he has to break your neck. He's because like your... you've revealed yourself to be some sort of agent or double agent or whatever. It's like, it's really weird that you just said that thing about the ice. What's with that red ring, by the way? <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Mo gives Dr. Tran a special red ring to signify that he's part of the Shadow's network of agents and he can be called upon at any time. And he's like, hey, never take that thing off. And you're like, oh, surely that's going to come back. Somebody's going to remove the ring. It's going to be part of the plot. And no. They do it once. And that was the later I was referring to because I completely forgot that that is described now. Because once again, <clears throat> this movie washed over me. Yeah. Like a sun shining down on me. But the ice is very slippery. At the Cobalt Club, Cranston meets with his uncle, Police Commissioner Wainwright Barth, played by Jonathan fucking Winters. What a cast! Cranston's uncle tells him he's launching a task force to look into the shadow, and now we're gonna, we're gonna see one of these superpowers in action, because a shadow's gonna fall upon Alec Baldwin's face, and he's gonna do the old Jedi mind trick on Wainwright, and the police commissioner's gonna drop the whole thing. He's like, yeah, no, the shadow's not even real. I don't know what I'm talking about. So I remember while watching this last night, when that happened, the actual audible thing that came out my mouth was, oh, all right, so this movie's bullshit. Got it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> now I see. And then I got to enjoy the ride the whole way. <laughs> the first watch through, I could not tell if it was trying to be serious or not. I could not tell until probably I get you. an That's hour why I, in. When I finally like broke through the bullshit veil. I got to like really enjoy it, but yeah. you had to break through that veil a little bit yeah. to understand the style and the tone of it. And again, we'll get there, but <laughs> we have to get there. It was complicated until you're like in on it. Exactly. You had to, you had to get clued into the joke before you could appreciate it. So now that Cranston's done the Jedi mind trick on his uncle, he goes and he hits on one Margot Lane played by Penelope Ann Miller, who is fantastic. She's very good in this. And I, I don't, I couldn't tell you any other thing that she did ever. I couldn't either. But it works here, man. It all works. She's great. He's using his mind-reading powers to anticipate what she wants, which is pretty creepy. But, you know, I guess if you, if you got it, use it. I, I don't know. He sends her the right wine, and then it's like, I'm craving Peking Doug. And she's like, oh my god, me too. That's so weird. And then while they're out, it turns out that she can also read his thoughts. <laughs> yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a problem when you're harboring three secret identities. It is a problem, but once again, the bullshit veil has been pierced. And I went, of course she could. Yeah, this is terrific. She just answers a question he never asked. And then, he, of course, his line of dialogue was, why did you just tell me that? She's like, because you asked me about my dress. And he's like, no, I didn't. I thought about it, though. I like how he leans in, too. It's like, he didn't have to tell her no. that he was thinking it. No. And then she's like, oh, this hasn't happened to me in years. That can't be right. That can't be true. <laughs> Ah, oh, I just accidentally read your mind. I haven't done that in forever. <laughs> That's got to be like so inconvenient, though. If you're just like a telepathic person who can read minds, like I'd imagine it's so loud all the time. I would imagine, unless you're 
you're lucky enough to be like Margot, and it only comes through in waves. That's very, very fair. Or if you go to any sort of GOP convention, Trump rally, whatever it is, because it's going to be silent. Right. Because they don't have their own thoughts. Not a political podcast. It's not, but that's factual. <laughs> I'm a man of science, and that's factual. That if you're a telepath, go to one of those, and you're going to finally get some peace and quiet. Some peace and quiet. No, it's just going to be one unison voice saying the same thing over and over. One of us. One of us. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Museum of Natural History, an unexpected delivery arrives. It's a solid silver sarcophagus belonging to Genghis Khan, and the security guard is instructed not to open the sarcophagus under any circumstance, but the damn thing pops itself open as soon as everybody else leaves the room. Can I ask you a quick question about the Museum of Natural History? Yeah, sure. Have you been? No. Okay, I was literally just there last week with my kid. <laughs> Doing a lot of outings this well, couple to. weeks. Well, I had to. She's going back to school soon, but can I ask you a serious question about museums? Okay. Are they bullshit? Especially the Museum of Natural History, because- Depends on the museum, I guess. We've all seen and loved the Benjamin Stiller film, Night at the Museum. It's a great movie. It's terrific. And that movie's close enough to what the museum's actually like, minus the whole coming to life aspect of it. As far as you know. But it's all like stuffed animals and shit. Like, that's really? what you're going through. Yeah, you're like walking through and it's like, here's the majestic jaguar. And it's like, yeah, maybe 50 years ago it was a jaguar. Now it's just a puppet. Like, it's just <laughs> posed there. There's nothing about it. I mean, is it an accurate portrayal of a jaguar? I believe it's a stuffed jaguar. All right. I mean, like, you want them to have a live one? Then it would be a zoo, not a museum. I understand that as well, Brian. <laughs> but I mean, it's just posing there in not even in its natural environment. It's got like a tree and a painted matte wall of a forest. Nailed it, I'm pretty sure. And at the bottom, it says, like, this is a jaguar. And it was gifted by a rich person, probably, who just had a stuffed jaguar sitting <laughs> just around. Had a jaguar hanging around. And they're like, you know who could use this? Museum of Natural History. No, because there's some bullshit animals in there. Because do you want to know what's next to the jaguar? Please. A stuffed squirrel. I now, swear wait to a God. I don't I feel like you don't need to go to a museum to know what a squirrel is. You don't! You need to either look outside or go watch Chevy Chase or Chevrolet Chase's <laughs> Funny Farm. Chevrolet Chase. That's such an easy joke. I can't believe it hasn't been made here before on the podcast. I had to stop myself because the bourbon got into my brain as I was saying Chevy and went, nay. <laughs> nay. Nay. <laughs> Chevrolet Chase and Harrison Ford Motor Company. That's right. <laughs> I think museums might be bullshit. I'm like, they talk about the giant whale. Like, in right. that museum hanging down, you look at it, you're like, that bitch looks plastic. And because it's plastic. Yeah, otherwise you're going to have whale guts. Let me have whale guts. All right. Like, I should be able to have a, a strange, figured-out style blubber <laughs> avalanche on my head from going into this place so I can learn. It's like you can't do that on television. Like, if you said, I don't know, it was going to just spew guts on top of you. But that's how a museum should work, because they want you to know. That's why you're right. there. It's a chase for you're knowledge. You're there to learn. And if you say, I don't know, I feel like you should get you should covered get in whale, whale guts. guts. And yeah. they'll be like, what do you feel? Ambergris. See? Now you know. Mm, you learned. <laughs> you did it. That feels like it would be very expensive. Probably. But Just on account of ambergris alone is, is a very hot commodity. But education is priceless, Brian, when it's you true. break it all down. It's true. 
I've I've heard that a picture is worth a thousand words, though. So like an actual model of a whale has got to be worth at least like I don't know three thousand. Three thousand words. <laughs> and the maintenance on a plastic whale is much easier than a former live whale. I don't know about that because they probably got to bring in like those genie lifts and just like lightly dust off the stupid whale that's <laughs> up there. <laughs> oh, what's your job? I have to lightly dust off the stupid whale and then refill it with the guts that spill out onto. <laughs> The patrons below. And it'd be weirder if, like, your mom told you that, and it turns out that she doesn't even work at the museum, and that's just what she calls uh, your dad's, like, birthday. Well, And if you dust that. off the whale. Absolutely hate that. <laughs> You're like, God damn it, mom. Uh, Why'd you have to go there, mom? Th- this, went, this went from the Museum of Natural History to just... Talking about dad's wild hog. I don't need that. <laughs> Tim Allen out of this. I can't believe we just made another wild hogs reference. Well, the last one was on a Patreon episode, though, so okay, I don't know if it fair. counts. You got to spread the love. <laughs> Wild hog style. That's right. Uh, museums, possibly bullshit. They might be that. bullshit. It's a lot of depending stuff Depending on animals. if you're going to learn or if you're going to see real animals, according to Dave. I just find it funny. If they're alive, it's a zoo. If they're dead, it's a museum. <laughs> it's food guess, for thought. I guess that is the only real distinction, isn't it? Museums also have art sometimes. They sometimes do. They got like shit chiseled out of wood that looks like faces that are creepy. They're like, not nah, spiritual. You're like, I didn't say it wasn't. I said but it was But they're creepy. not real faces. Correct. That's why it's not a zoo. That's right. <laughs> if they start talking to you like Olmec, you go, got it, zoo. All right, I'm in a zoo. <laughs> I knew it. I figured it out right. immediately. <laughs> I don't know. That sloth is either moving really slow or I'm at a museum. That would be a good gag to play. Just throwing like a sloth. Just like, you don't know. Museum or zoo. It's moving very slow. Might have made a wrong turn to Albuquerque. You're never going to know if you're looking at the sloth <laughs> exhibit. The, the shadow. The shadow. Sorry, right. sorry. Okay. It's been on my mind since I was there, and I'm walking around looking at bullshit <laughs> animals that aren't real. <laughs> but dinosaur bones and whatnot. They were there. They were there, and I found out that some of them are plaster molded. Well, there you go. Because they're, they're like, yeah, we, we blew this up with dynamite in 1908, so we had a plaster mold on the little front arms of the T-Rex. You're like, they were little anyway. I mean, it's not really all that threatening. Yeah. Like IRL. So it turns out the museums are, in fact, bullshit then. It might be. They told me <laughs> what was bullshit on the dinosaur. And I said, okay. you know what? I, I weirdly approve that. It all looked bullshit. Right. So I don't know what they put on these bones that were around for 200 million years, but they didn't look like bones. <laughs> Whatever they used to preserve the plastic whale. Maybe. <laughs> it's like bartender's mate or whatever that shit is. That gets to shine on it. <laughs> All right, and that's the Cape Podcasters do zoos and museums for 20 minutes. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting stuff off my chest. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Out of the sarcophagus emerges Shiwan Khan, played by John fucking Lone. He deserves that fucking. He's good in this. He's very good in this. He uses his hypnosis to make the security guard shoot himself, and then he goes outside and he makes a taxi driver crash his cab straight into a gas truck. He's just showing up and killing people all willy-nilly. He is, but quick question about this this strange descendant of Khan, of Genghis yeah. Khan. Yeah, which we won't find out that he thinks he is until another scene. Correct. But he comes out and he instantly starts talking about this security guard's gun. Yeah. And I went, where are you from, bro? Like, what <laughs> hey, time period are you from, bro? <laughs> How long you been in that sarcophagus, man? I don't know. We don't have any backstory really behind it. We don't yet. Correct. So while this is going down... Farley Claymore, played by Tim fucking Curry, 
is hanging out with Dr. Reinhardt Lane and fucking McKellen. This thing's like a murderer's row. Not to invoke Alec Baldwin, but <laughs> oh, no. still. This movie's like a, a Mount Rushmore of that fucking guy. That's right. So Farley and Reinhardt are, are working together on some sort of energy research. And Farley Claymore is upset with Dr. Lane because he's thinking small potatoes with their research. And he's like, we could be doing so much more. And Dr. Lane is like, yeah, whatever. Energy. Blah, blah, blah. Science. So on his way out of the lab, Claymore runs into Dr. Lane's daughter, Margot Lane, who we've already met in the movie. She can read some people's minds sometimes. <laughs> right. What a skill to have. <laughs> and Claymore proceeds to hit on her in a way that's even more creepy than the guy earlier who literally read her mind. Yep. And when she's like, yeah, I just don't like you. He's like, he calls her a fascinating woman. How could you not like him? It's Timothy fucking Curry. And this is probably a Cape Time to be trivia fact. Yeah, probably. Tim Curry did not find Penelope Ann Miller a fascinating woman because he never worked with her ever again. It's not mine, but bravo to whoever submitted that one. There you go. I like it, man. We're infecting IMDb. We we're, we're taking it down one fact at a time. That's not stopping. That bit's not ever going away. It's also true that uh, they, did, they did never work together again. I believe you. I don't know. I'm not going to six degrees of Tim Curry this thing. Oh, I looked it up on celebritizer.com. Is that an actual thing? Because that oh, yeah. sounds like some bullshit, like George Foreman grill, but celebritizer. <laughs> like it's just multiple people who are selling you a, a picture of some sort of meat tenderizer and calling it an NFT. Because I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Be an NGFT. Because he can't put not put George in, his, in the name. That's a good point. Non-George Fungible Token. Of course it is. And he changes all of his children's names to George Fungibles. Of course. You ever have a Fungible for lunch when you were a kid? <laughs> I loved Fungibles. They were oh, great. Good. Especially the Pizza Fungibles. The Pizza Fungible is very good, but you're just like, I'm literally eating just raw pizza. Yeah, at that point, it's, it's like, what is this pita that I'm putting cold tomato sauce on? I was always a big fan of like the ham fungible because no one liked it at all because it was just really slimy. It would get really slimy. But then I also felt like you couldn't like make a, an appropriate sandwich with everything. Like you had to measure out how many crackers you had versus how many absolutely you slices had to, of cheese you had, and just like you always fucked it up. You had to count it out and pre-plan if you really wanted to enjoy the ideal, the optimum meat to cheese to cracker ratio. Maybe that's why our age group is so big into meal planning. is because they had to do it when they were a kid. Because we had to do it with our with fungibles. fungibles. Yeah, that's, that definitely explains it. Just like the celebritizer. <laughs> exactly. Which you put two actors' names in, and it tells you what they were in together. How about that? The future, welcome. We, we've done it. <laughs> Peak internet. <laughs> Shut it down. It's over. <laughs> we've got it. We've done the celebritizer. Margot goes into the, the lab to talk to her father, a brilliant scientist who doesn't know the difference between red and green. It's a weird on-running joke. At this point of the movie, you should realize that there's some fuckery afoot. Oh, yes. This is Sir Ian McKellen not knowing the difference between red and green while working on some sort of huge science project for the Department of War. And it's not even that he's colorblind. It's that no. he doesn't know. He doesn't know the difference. Like, that's the joke, is that he, he has to, like, remind himself. Oh, right. And, that's like, try red. to learn it. And that's green. I always get those two mixed up. That's amazing. So there's a cop that's one of the Shadow's agents, and he's investigating the scene of the museum security guard's suicide, whatever they think it is. Sure. He drops a note into the Shadow's pneumatic tube system, and Burbank, 
the guy at the end of all the tubes, delivers the message to Cranston in his secret lair. This tube shot is annoying, to put it lightly, because it goes on for forever. I'm convinced it hasn't stopped. So long. It's like the inside of that terrible uh, pipes screensaver. (laughs) Like if you were inside the pipe that goes on forever, that's what this scene is. It feels like the opening credits to any Tim Burton movie. (laughs) Yes. Like, I'm, I don't think I need to explain no, that any further. 100% right. <laughs> I like that Cranston sends him a little, uh, little, little telegram on the ring, and he's like, oh, I got to get back to the, the layer so I can pull up a video conference with this guy instead of just taking the message from the ring. How does this work? Does he, like, tap the ring? Like, Morse coding the ring? I think he's Morse coding the ring, yeah. But I'm sorry to get blue here. What if he's finger blasting? <laughs> Well, then Margot's also going to get the message. Well, I understand. She's going to get the message beforehand. But, like, what if there is no message at all? It's just gobbledygook. Like, I I can't imagine Peter Foyle sitting there watching Howdy Doody or whatever he's doing at home with his wife. (laughs) And he goes, ah, that Lamont, he must be finger blasting again. (laughs) Which I would have paid extra money to hear Peter Boyle say anything. A hundred percent I would pay extra. I don't think that Cranston's ring sends messages i think he just receives them and i think it only receives them from burbank at the, okay. at the bottom of the pneumatic tube system gotcha that goes all over new york it's a complicated movie to figure out it's yeah you really try to put any thought it. in at all into it and just don't enjoy the ride it's kind of like a museum once you realize it's all bullshit exactly <laughs> then you really get to enjoy yeah who painted the backgrounds of these animal exhibits that aren't real? Who, like, who painted the backgrounds of this movie? Because they're super noticeable. Yeah, they are. Like, they really are. Insanely noticeable. It took me out of it the first viewing. I might go on IMDb and update my own and make it like Mad Artist for the Shadow and see if it allows it. Uncredited. It. Uncredited. Uncredited Mad <laughs> Artist. For the... so, yeah, I took out my Crayolas and I went to town. Let me see if it'll let me. You keep talking. All right. I hack IMDb further. we're taking it down (laughs) almost immediately Khan who easily found Cranston's secret lair reveals himself and he tells Cranston that he too was a disciple of the Tolku and while you're on IMDb doing your thing I have an actual IMDb trivia fact oh goody when Shiwan Khan introduces himself to Cranston he says he is the last living descendant of Genghis Khan as of 2005 it is known this was grossly incorrect. Well, yeah. Uh, to put it lightly, if people have seen Silicon Valley, Genghis Khan fucked. Based on DNA data of 2003, about 8% of men living in Mongolia are related to Genghis Khan, or roughly <laughs> 0.5% of the male population of the world as of 2000. That would translate to approximately 5 to 6 million descendants in the 1930s, the time period of the film. Oh, my God. That's insanity. So, yeah, this guy, last living descendant of Genghis Khan, if you don't count the other six million. But how threatening could that possibly be that he's, like, the last one? Well, he's, like, as the last descendant of Genghis Khan, he has to fulfill his family destiny of world domination. But why didn't everyone before it just, you know, do it? Do they just, they don't care enough? I, I, I don't know. I guess maybe only one out of six million has psychic powers from, from the bald kid with the deep voice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He reveals to Cranston that he was a huge fan of his Ying Ko persona and offers him an alliance. Cranston refuses. Khan offers Cranston time to think about his proposition, leaving him with some kind of coin. And I like how deep they get into this coin. Oh, yeah, because 
Cranston has to bring the coin to Dr. Tam, the guy from the bridge in the beginning of the movie, so he can decipher what it's made of. And that's how you get the whole, uh, you know, the sun is shining and the ice is wet or something. I don't remember. Or something already, like that. already forgot it. Ice is slippery. So IMDb is giving me a lot of pushback right now. Really? Yeah. They're saying like, this, uh, this dude doesn't have any existing credits in this section. Are you sure this is the right person? <laughs> it's me, baby. <laughs> I was there. I would know, right? <laughs> I was six at the time. You call me a liar? Say, <laughs> I was just going to say, is your birth date listed on your IMDb page? <laughs> that makes it even better. I believe it is, which is wild. But like, uh, Are you sure this six-year-old can't call me that? a liar? Oh, love it. Dr. Tam determines that the coin is made out of a metal called bronzium, an impure form of uranium that theoretically could generate an atomic explosion through this whole implosion-explosion device. A theoretical implosion-explosion device that they invent on the spot and then find out actually does exist. Of course, as you do! Naturally, everybody's inventing A-bombs around this time. (laughs) And I like the... He got on his jump to conclusions, Matt, and figured out that it was an atomic bomb <laughs> right. so quickly. Well, it's great because he's like, like an atomic bomb, and Dr. Tam is like, that's a catchy name. Unbelievable. Khan speaks Reinhardt Lane's name into the night sky, which is how you possess somebody, obviously. Obviously. And there's, uh, there's also a, a llama cigarettes billboard involved, too, somehow. I don't know what that's about, but the face morphs and it turns into... Turns into Khan. Not, not Genghis Khan, and right. he talks, and then... Ian McKellen's like, I guess I have to act now. Ian McKellen, you are uh, now a possessed person and the only one acting like it. All right, so I've submitted my IMDb credit as uncredited for Matt Artist for The Shadow. Yeah. And it is pending, so we will stand by. Wow. I hope nobody reviews that and they're just like, yes, this six-year-old did that. (laughs) It would check out completely. (laughs) Well, now that you're done submitting that IMDb alteration, I have yet another actual IMDb trivia fact. Fantastic! The billboard of The Smoking Man is a parody of a real one that actually blew smoke rings. The original was for camel cigarettes, whose motto was, I'd walk a mile for a camel. The llama cigarette motto parodies this with, I'd climb a mountain for a llama. I'm so glad that they pulled their Weird Al humor here with their parody. I'm just upset that there's no more billboards that blow smoke rings. I mean, you can't really smoke in New York anymore, period. That's that's true, but also, I don't know, let's add some more f- practical effects to billboards. I mean, realistically, with everything that's becoming legalized in the, the POTS department. Right. You could do that. Like, if you, you were could. an eatery or something, like, you're, a, you're an olive garden. You're just like, wow, people found out that we're pretty much like the museum of restaurants <laughs> and that we're bullshit. <laughs> Like, you put a, a sweet uh, billboard for your never-ending breadsticks up there, and, like, it has that steam the coming steam off them because they're nice and hot and everything, but it's yeah. really just marijuana. And it's going to make you hungry for those sweet, sweet breadsticks. I feel like that's a Nathan for you plan, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I think even in the in the cigarette billboards, it's not actual cigarette smoke that's getting blown out of it. No, I get that, Brian. I okay. get that. Okay. But what I'm saying is, go a little further. You would actually have to be high for the billboard yes. to work yes. for Olive Garden. But like maybe you put it in like Times Square, because they have an Olive Garden there, I'm pretty sure. But oh, then you, you sure. make sure like you team up with Dyson for their Airblade <laughs> AC or whatever, and you get that thing circulating. Yeah. Maybe, in Times maybe Square. You, maybe you 
cross promote with some vape company and you get cartridges made that are breadstick flavored, but they're also 10 milligrams of THC. And <laughs> that'd be so wild. <laughs> it's like, what do you have? I have raspberry. What do you have? Strawberry. Of course, it's in the season. What do yeah, you have? Come on. I have uh, Olive Garden <laughs> Olive bread Garden sticks. breadsticks. <laughs> oh, I have never ending soup, salad, and breadsticks. <laughs> <gasps> that's buttery <laughs> so at the cobalt club <laughs> margot lane comes in to ask commissioner wainwright what the police are doing about her father acting weird and speaking chinese and luckily cranston's sitting there too and he's like all right something's wrong with with this because i know a person who speaks chinese who showed up and is mind controlling people so i better get to the bottom of this and he tries to leave but margot follows him and he tries to do the Jedi mind trick on her to forget about him. And she's like, yeah, no, I don't, I'm not going to forget about you. Why would I forget about you? That's weird. She is immune to mind control for now. For now, until it's <laughs> completely appropriate. Right now, she cannot be mind controlled. Exactly. Cranston heads to the lab, fights off a few of Khan's henchmen, but fails to stop them from taking possession of the bomb and Dr. Reinhardt. At that point, Shiwan Khan... I am the new mad artist for the shadow. All right. I did it. That's Let's incredible. See how long it's there. Now, if you go to the shadows IMDb page, you are now listed, right? That is correct. I've done it. <laughs> Dave Michaels V for five. So I'm for the five. fifth one. Mad That's artist amazing. on the shadow. Uncredited, of course. Right. I wonder what other jobs I could have. You should just try to get them all, you know? <laughs> I like, might. It's like Pokemon. Catch them all. That's right. I've done it all at this point. <laughs> not in the biz anymore. I don't give a shit. Who am I going to upset? The guy who actually did this? <laughs> I'm not going to knock at my door. Sacre Brew! Why are you doing <laughs> messing up my mats? Um, um, hello? Um, I believe you've inappropriately <laughs> claimed uh, my work on IMDb. You should be happy I stole your work. You sure you're not a lefty? <laughs> so Shiwan Khan hypnotizes the unhypnotizable Margot through the billboard and commands her to kill the shadow. So she goes to Kranz's house and shoots his reflection in a mirror because he only gave her one bullet for some reason. And I like how Cranston's like in the bed with his shirt off because, of course, Alec Baldwin's there. Naturally. The, he has to have his shirt off. I mean, if you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> and his mark? reaction isn't so much, what the fuck? Like, he gets him and goes, huh, okay. Yeah. He, that was he's interesting. Just sitting here watching her shoot a mirror, and he's like, um, okay, well, <laughs> guess I'll go check this out. <laughs> And he, he breaks Khan's hold on her by just saying her name. And then she remembers why she came over. And she's like, oh, I was supposed to kill the shadow. And I came here to your house. So you must be the shadow. And he's but like, how could anyone know that? How does that dot connect at all? Here's the thing. Yeah. She can read minds. Sure. She just doesn't know she's doing it all the time. That's annoying. So she just like, I don't know, subconsciously knew this guy's the shadow. Bull shit. Or maybe Khan was like, this is where the shadow lives. Fair. That would actually make a lot of sense <laughs> at that point. Cranston tells her to be gone when he gets back, and he just leaves her in his apartment. Yeah, fine. All right. It's a weird thing to do. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's like, you just tried to kill me. Be gone when I return. You just figured out my secret. Don't be here. 
there's an Olive Garden around the corner. <laughs> go there instead. I've got some gummies in the in the cabinet. Take one of those, go to the Olive Garden. Yeah, they're in the shape of breadsticks. You got a problem with that? So Cranston follows one of Khan's men and finds Khan having a meal in a restaurant. And he's got that, he's got that tie that, that he complimented Cranston on earlier in the movie for Brooks Brothers. Exactly. Cranston confronts Khan about the murder attempt, and he confirms that he's not going to be an ally in Khan's plans. Like, hey, you tried to have this girl kill me. I'm not going to help you. Well, why should he? Why should he? A hit attempt is not going to do it. I get, Khan, that when we're here, you're family, but uh, we're not. <laughs> so Khan so reveals. Stop it. So Khan's like, oh, you're not going to help me? Well, then guess what I have? And he pulls out the Furba dagger, which he, he says he used to kill the Tulku. The blind, uh, blind, the bald kid <laughs> with the deep voice. And I love the reaction out of this because he goes, oh, that knife. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of all the knives in all the world, <laughs> you had to walk into mine. What? Oh, man. So the two of them pull out guns and shoot at each other, but their bullets collide midair, and they are both appropriately shocked about this. Which was so good. It's great because you're like, all right, they're doing a thing, and then they're... They were like, oh, I did not expect that to happen. You're like, oh, good. Neither did I. No, it was perfect. Like, they had the appropriate amount of shock and awe. They're like, damn, we just did that. I still hate you, but that was cool. I mean, at this point, you're realistically about to, like, figure out that you're both big fans of John Stamos and that you're going to go to karate (laughs) in the garage. Exactly. That's the progression of this. So Khan yells at a window until it explodes, and then he jumps out of it. As you do, yes. And then Cranston runs down the stairs. And, and chases after him, but they, he loses him near a mysterious vacant lot. And then he and Moe just kind of stare at the lot for a while. And Peter Boyle's like, there's nothing there, man. What are you looking at? It's fair. It's a very fair question. It is. And it's a weird way to end the scene. This is, I feel like, where I got a little lost with it, and I'm happy that it got explained later, but I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yes. You pumped the brakes real hard there for a second. <laughs> this, this empty lot seems pretty important. It's weird that you're just going to stop right here. Okay. When Cranston returns home, Margo is still there, and he's like, I thought I told you to not be here. And she's like, yeah, well, I know shit about you, and I'm not, I'm not going to forget it, so I'm going to hang out. And then he has a dream where he tears all the skin off his face and is actually con. It's a very weird dream. It's a very weird dream. It is such a cool scene. It is, and there's only one noticeable camera cut where they go behind something and you oh, can yeah. see the yeah. model. But other than that, though, it's like... It's and very well done. It. Yeah. And and I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. You have so many? I think I have four. <laughs> That's so many for this movie, <laughs> I feel like. Sam Raimi originally wanted to adapt and direct this film, but was denied the rights to it. And I don't know, just this scene just felt kind of Sam Raimi-y to me. That's very fair. And uh, Robert Zemeckis wanted to do this movie also. That's for true. A while. Zemeckis. And then Raimi was like, let me do it. And they were like, no. And then eventually they gave it to... Russell McCahey. <laughs> exactly. Well, Raimi wanted to do it because he made the Dark Man. Well, instead, yeah, he did the Dark Man instead because he was like, well, oh, there well, you well go. let me do the Shadow. I'm going to do the Dark Man, which is basically the Shadow, but with Liam Neeson's. Liam Neeson's is our shit. Liam Neeson's is our shit. The next morning, Margot insists on accompanying Cranston on his investigation after she's very flirtatious with him, telling him about her dream and then changing with him in the room and, and whatnot. And he's like, I gotta go. And she's like, I'm coming with you. She's like laying it on real thick, and she's clearly trying to make sexy time with him, I feel like. Clearly. And he just goes, well, I had a dream that I ripped my face off. And she's like, you have issues. And he's like, yup. (laughs) 
And then there's a scene where Ian McKellen is explaining to Khan, you know, the, the radius of the explosion and whatnot. And the sailor walks by and he tells Khan he's wearing a nice dress. So Khan obviously is going to hypnotize him into jumping off the top of said building. And I just love this transition <laughs> from this guy leaping off the top of the building to bouncing. The Empire State Building. Yeah. And he bounces off of one of the levels. And then we just keep panning down to Alec Baldwin and Penelope Ann Miller walking down the street. It's a crazy transition. It's it comes so right after good. Ian McKellen's on top of the Empire State Building. He says, the blast is going to be from here. And he's like pointing to one spot to the right. Then he goes to the left. To... to- here. Here. It's like, yeah, it's going to be a pretty goddamn big explosion, Ian McKellen. Explosion. No. You pointed you to, to point out the exact spots. <laughs> we, we need to go to the top of the Empire State Building so I can show you how big the blast will be. Unbelievable. And that's just the explosion. The, the damage will be unfathomable. Cool. But anyway, after this guy bounces off the Empire State Building, <laughs> complete with sound effects, and yep. we keep panning down, Cranston knows that Khan's atomic bomb requires a beryllium sphere to be completed. And Margot is like, oh, Claymore recently made one of those. I remember because when he was hitting on me, he's like, you got to come check out my beryllium sphere. And I thought he was being a pervert, but it turns out it's actually a thing he made. I mean, that's how nerds hit on people. For sure. They're like, hey, come check out my beryllium sphere. Hot. Nice. And then Cranston is like, okay, well, you go look into this vacant lot I was obsessed with yesterday, and I'm going to go confront Claymore. As the Shadow. So the Shadow finds Claymore, who reveals his allegiance to Khan, and attempts to drown the Shadow by locking him inside this giant water tank. And I don't know what he's doing there to begin with, but this is where the scene is. So now we have an almost (laughs) drowning Alec Baldwin. Like, it's just at the end of, like, a cul-de-sac underneath a bridge, and it's a big ball of just, nothing just a big old ball that you can walk that in can and... only be really used for drowning someone in seriously like the only way to get water into it is to pull the lever from inside it it's a very serious design flaw it is but he also shoots at alec baldwin and misses and puts two bullet holes in the side of this thing that's right but he also hits him that's a good point too but alec baldwin then has to like go over to one of these bullet holes and breathe and like, out of it breathe out of it which is insanity <laughs> it's absolutely silly Almost as silly as him contacting Margot through telepathy, and she arrives just in time to rescue him. Where was she? She was at the library doing research on the abandoned lot. And that's fine, but how far away was this library? It's not important. I I heard it when I said it. It's not important. It's not important. (laughs) She got the mind message, got in the car, got to the tank, and, and... Bob's your uncle. There you go. Perfect. She got Alec Baldwin out just in time. So Cranston has to take some time to recover from the incident while Margot cares for him. And with her telepathic abilities, she sees Cranston's dreams and nightmares, including his days as Yingko and the horrible crimes he committed. And uh, she, she sticks around. <laughs> as you uh, For reasons. do. Uh-huh. When Cranston recovers, Margot tells him about a hotel called the Monolith that used to stand in the vacant lot where Khan disappeared. The hotel went bankrupt before it ever opened, but was ordered for demolition. And even though nobody knows when or where or by whom the demolition was completed, the hotel's gone. So it had to happen. It had to have gone somewhere. Exactly. And that's when Cranston realizes that the hotel is still there. But Khan has hypnotized the whole city into believing it was gone. And when he realizes that, uh, he's able to see the hotel. It's a cool trick, I guess. If I you guess. have to have a hiding place, fine. If you gotta hypnotize an entire city to do it, that seems 
like a very tall order. But if you can just whisper <laughs> names into the ether and they get hypnotized, I guess it's not that hard. Right. But doesn't that mean that Reinhardt already would have been hypnotized? Are you doubling down by making him do the bomb? I guess so. Double hypnotized. Why not? Double hypnotized. It's not like uh, double negative. Exactly. Two hypnotizes don't make a... Unhypnotized. It makes a double uh, hypnotized. I'm going to get like a nosebleed if I <laughs> think about that at all. So knowing Reinhardt has completed the bomb, the Shadow enters the hotel for a final showdown with Khan, and instead he finds Claymore, who goes a little psycho and spins around in circles <laughs> and shoots at the ceiling for some reason. He's, oh, the, He's shooting at a Shadow, and the, the Shadow's shadow pretty much like dancing on the walls and stuff. The fun thing about Shadows is that they're usually projected from a light source, so if they're on the ceiling, it doesn't mean that the guy is on the ceiling. You would think that a science man would understand this. You would think. Um... This is probably a cape dive to be trivia fact. Tim Curry makes us wait nearly 90 minutes before he Tim Curry's all over the screen. It's absolutely a cape dive to be trivia fact. And yeah, they made us wait that long. They did. And but boy, does he show up. Oh, it's a big payoff. Man, he goes absolutely apeshit crazy. And it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so good. Beautiful. And then the shadow Jedi mind tricks Claymore into jumping to his death from a balcony. Very good. Big fan. He makes like a window that's there. He says, there's your exit. And he puts like an exit sign on the window. Yep. And, and then, then Tim Curry dives out the window. And crazy like, Tim Curry just leaps through the right. window. I guess that happened. <laughs> it's a weird movie, guys. It's, it's a weird super movie. Super weird movie. So then the shadow finds Khan, but he is subdued by the Furba because of course he is. This damn dagger keeps coming back. And also, Khan has installed some sort of spinny amusement park floor in this room. So. Yeah, I don't know what that's about either. <laughs> either this hotel was meant to be like amusement park themed or this guy did some work on the place. It's like Luigi's Mansion 2. <laughs> Just setting up a whole bunch of booby traps and friend friendly Kong's ghosts that mansion. are also mean. Through his struggle with the flying dagger, the shadow realizes that only a peaceful mind can truly control the Furba. And then we also get a full-ass face reveal of the shadow. And that nose. Oh, God, that nose. I have another Cape Dying to be trivia fact. Yeah, you do. If Adrian Brody and Mickey Rourke's noses made a child, it would be Alec Baldwin's nose in this film. It sure would be. And there would be a custody battle for that That child. is an astute observation. <laughs> it is a Brody Rourke nose. It absolutely is. By letting go of his fears and anger... The Shadow successfully seizes command of the dagger and launches it into Khan's torso, which doesn't kill him, but it does create a lapse in his hypnotic control that frees Reinhardt and restores the hotel's visibility to the world. So, you know, all of his agents can swarm the place. And by all of, I mean Margot and Mo. Yep, all of them. The Shadow pursues Khan through the building while Margot and Reinhardt are having problems of their own trying to disarm the bomb. They eventually... You say problems. Well, first you say all, problems. Reinhardt, who made this bomb, he tries to disarm it and ends up... The countdown, which still has like an hour and a half on it, goes down to like two minutes. But that's not even the worst of it's it. It's not the worst. Because then the bomb starts rolling around the entire hotel. It's like bouncing downstairs. This thing is like log. <laughs> it is like log. But it's like this is a bomb. And no one is treating this bomb like it's a real threat. At this no. point, it is just bouncing around 
like crazy. And then when they finally get back to it, they're all gentle with it again. It's like, why? Why? It just, yeah, <laughs> just crashed over the entire building. At one point, they're on the wrong floor to find the bomb. Like it <laughs> no, rolled it's not upstairs. the way you think about it because they're sitting at the bottom and they're like looking up. They're like, it's upstairs. The bomb is upstairs. How would it have even The bomb is upstairs. calling from inside the house. It rolled upwards somehow. <laughs> But they do eventually disarm the bomb with one second remaining because Margo pulls the green wire as Reinhardt is about to cut the red wire because he doesn't know the difference. Right. He got confused again. Yes. The smart man who invented the atomic bomb doesn't know the difference between red and green. Love it. Khan tries to hide in an actual mirror maze because, again, it's a funhouse hotel. Sure. But the shadow focuses his powers into shattering all the mirrors. This is just... Alec Baldwin shaking vigorously for like a minute and a half as glass shards explode around him. There's so much glass. It's ridiculous. A lot of glass. And then the shadow hurls a shard of mirror into Khan's dome piece. Yeah, he does. Khan survives the battle, but he wakes up in a padded cell of a mental hospital. He tries to hypnotize his doctor, but he fails. And the doctor tells Khan that they saved his life by removing a section of his frontal lobe that is considered useless, <laughs> unless you believe in telepathy, that is. And like he giggles his way out of the room. And then it's then they zoom in on his red ring, and you're like, oh, the, the doctor was an agent of the shadow. Whoa. And then we, we cut outside to Cranston and Margot doing the kiss, and he says, I'll see you later. And she asks, how are you going to know where I am? And he replies, I'll know. And that's it. That's the movie. That's the movie. It's such a creepy <laughs> ending, man. It's so creepy. The Shadow Knows. But that is The Shadow from 1994, directed by famous director Russell Mulcahy. The one and only. I feel like I shouldn't like this movie, but I do. I, I Deep down inside, I think I'm battling with myself over liking this movie as much as I do. Are we like dirty people? We like this movie or we just like a very specific type of bad movie. Like the one that knows what it's doing. Yes. Like it's very in on its own joke. Super self-aware. That is definitely this movie. And people really like this movie because Rotten Tomatoes 1100 hit me. Oh, 70? Yeah, I misled you. People do not like this movie. Brian, I it got a 34. Oh, wow. And the audience score is 44. Wow, you, you definitely got me. Roger Ebert, though, gave it three out of four stars, because of course he That's did. That's right. And he said, the shadow is the kind of movie that plays better the more baggage you bring to it. If you respond <laughs> to film noir, if you like dark streets and women with scarlet lips and big, fast cars with running boards, the look of this movie will work some kind of magic. <laughs> Against all preconceived notions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you are looking for a very specific thing, I guess it's three out of four stars. Roger, yes. <laughs> if you're looking for the fakest ass movie you've ever seen, hey, I worked it. hard on those matte paintings. I and worked you did, very hard. Dude, extremely good for a six year old. Not good enough to get credited. Well, let's be honest. <laughs> There's probably some sort of regulations against employing a six year old to do your your child mats. labor, probably. About time on IMDb though with it with my yeah. new job. <laughs> someday somebody's gonna be like, I wonder what Dave's up to. Everything. Do you remember and nothing? Do you remember Dave, the that location guy? I wonder what he's doing now. Oh, it looks like uh, he's doing math. Wait, that movie came out way before these other ones. He did not work on Citizen Kane. <laughs> 
why he put himself as the cane. Jesus Christ, what a cocky bastard. <laughs> and Dave Michaels as the cane. <laughs> Introducing Dave Michaels as Rosebud. That's perfect. He can ride me all day down a hill. Um, it's a sled. Spoilers. Oh, man. <laughs> a letterboxed. Uh, people had really mixed reactions to this thing also. I'm sure. For March 21st, 2020, this movie makes way more sense if you imagine Alec Baldwin is insane and the whole thing is a fantasy. Imagine. That's a good <laughs> point. <laughs> uh, mostly because from June 16th, 2022, the fact that Alec Baldwin is in this doesn't help the fact that it feels like one of those 30 Rock gag movies. <laughs> it 100% does. It absolutely does. And the last one I have is from November 8th. 2021, Alec Baldwin is a vigilante that shoots people. He was also in the shadow, which is just okay. <laughs> oh, wow. That's definitely good. too soon. They, definitely uh, too soon. They definitely did him dirty on soon. that one. Yes. And I love it. And on that note, how about we give this thing a super stuff score? Let's do that. Story and motivation. What is it? Um, there's the shadow. Yep. He, he was a bad man who is in need of a redemption arc. So <laughs> they brought a batter man to New York for him to beat. But he's not even a batter man. It's just he's more hypnotizier. He's more hypnotizier. He's he's a disciple of the same master. I don't know. It's really weird because like he's a bad guy who came from the lineage of the good guys who changed the good guy from a bad guy. But he's a worse guy. Uh, zero? I would say at a minimum 0.25. Okay. And also as a maximum. So 0.25. 0.25. I'm curious where that got the bump from. I liked it, damn it. All right. That's a fair bump. That's a fair bump. Hero. It's an hour and 48 minute movie or whatever it is. And yeah, I barely felt it. I would argue that it very much felt like it. Well, we'll get there when we talk style and toad. But All right. Hero. Yeah. The Shadow. The Shadow. Ying Ko. Lamont Cranston. He's got like every cheat code put on him. He really does. And he still doesn't feel like he's he's in control at any point. Right. So 0.25. 0.25 for being the superhero with all the superpowers and none of the wherewithal. Villains. Shiwan Khan. Yeah, he's the last descendant of Genghis Khan. <laughs> Allegedly. And I could just hear Bill Pullman and Rick Moranis on the Mega Maid talking and saying, <laughs> what does that make him? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's got a way better handle on his powers than uh, than Lamont. Until he gets stabbed. Until he gets stabbed. And he has no handle. I feel like naturally getting stabbed is going to put a damper on your on your powers. Briefly, maybe, after you get over the initial shock yeah, of it all. Once people see the invisible hotel, you're not going to unsee it. You can. You just got to hypnotize them harder. Yeah, but what, there's only two people, and then once they're inside, they can go invisible again. They're already inside. I, that's fair, but I mean, you could also just like reach out to New York and be like, you did not see a hotel. You saw a little doggy or something. And you know what? I don't know. Maybe if his prefrontal cortex didn't get glass sharded, he, he would have had time to do that. So Not wrong. <laughs> Uh, zero. Zero. I'm not a big fan of it. Yeah, Sorry. he's, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> be my friend, but also I need to kill you one time. I don't know that one he ever attempt. really wanted to be friends. That's impressed. just mean. He was impressed sense. by the Ying Ko 
stories and was like, hey, if you wanted to break bad again, here's your opportunity. Here's your RV. Exactly. Bitch. <laughs> That's not how he would say it. Betch. <laughs> Betch. <laughs> uh, parents or teamwork? How about a zero all around? Parents, right? Yeah. Are they dead? Are they alive? I don't know. Who knows? Probably a zero. Like, I needed Alec Baldwin to, like, break the fourth wall. By the way, <laughs> my parents ate it. In case you were wondering why I was so mad when I was Ying Ko, it was because uh, <laughs> my parents were, were killed in a terrible opium-related Olive Garden incident. I had a 50-50 chance of coming here and becoming a Batman. And instead, I got all the superpowers and didn't know how to use them. Have you seen my nose? <laughs> Every time I walk into an Olive Garden because of the smell of those breadsticks, I get new family and they're immediately murdered. <laughs> when you're here, you're family. Now you're all going to die. <laughs> when you're here, and I will become stronger. <laughs> when you're here, you're in grave danger. <laughs> Hi, my name's Thomas. Welcome to Olive Garden. How oh, God. <laughs> Not you. Not you again. <laughs> I know that nose. I know it. What, the shadow nose? <laughs> <laughs> you don't see anything. Haven't you seen my bandana mouth? Hold on. Okay, so in my film history, no, it was either a TV history class or like a, a radio broadcast class that I took in college. Sure. We definitely listened to an episode of The Shadow. Okay. The radio serial. And like there is there's the shadow nose is a whole thing throughout the, yes, the entire is. series. And they went literal, yeah. They made a gag out of <laughs> the nose. That's insane. Uh, a little bit. Anyway, that's still is a zero yep, for parents. It's still a zero. I forgot we're on parents. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about female characters. Uh Margot Lane is in this and she is she the only is female a character. Telepath, and that's awfully damn convenient. It is convenient, but it's also, they gave, they, they empowered her, literally. They did. Uh, 0.25. She's fine. 0.25 uh, for being the only woman and being fine. Setting. It's some sort of New York drawn by a six-year-old. <laughs> it's some sort of six-year-old illustrated New York. I hate it. It looks horrible. It, it looks doesn't work at so all. so bad to the point that it, the first half of my first viewing was just looking at background mats going, no, no, not at all. <laughs> I want to say 0.25 since I'm now on IMDb as the mad artist, <laughs> but I can't. I can't in good conscience do no, that. No, it's a zero. zero for setting. Style and tone. One. I. You know what? Going back to what I just discovered about the shadow <laughs> nose. Yes. Yes, it's a one. The special effects look pretty damn good. Especially the scene where he takes his face off. Oh, it looks great. But even the scenes where he's like shadow fighting. Yeah. They look pretty cool. And it's impressive for a 1994 movie, for sure. Absolutely. Style and tone. That's a one. Was there something briefly before that we said we were going to talk about style and tone and then forgot about? Yeah, it's typical. Cool. Let's talk about music. <laughs> it's Jerry fucking Goldsmith Jerry Gold again. Jerry Goldsmith shows up, lays down some tracks, and you go, yeah, yeah. Because the music in this is good. It's good. Couldn't hum you a single bit of it, but... It works. I couldn't. Every bit of it worked. After, after another viewing or two, I probably could. Well, there were people on Letterboxd that kept saying, like, this kind of sounds like Master of Puppets. A little bit at parts, yeah. And for that reason, 0. 0.5. 0. 0.5 for the music. One-liners. 
I don't know if it has a ton. I hate that I can't think of, because I while I was watching it, I was like, that's that's a good one-liner. That's a good one, but I can't remember any of them. I can't hear like, oh, that knife is fine. <laughs> oh, that knife. <laughs> I'll go zero. Yeah, I'll make it easy. There's nothing I'm going to be quoting nothing at all on this thing. reaching out and grabbing me. Right. And finally, impact on the genre. Now, the interesting thing about this is the um, the estimated budget, there's a discrepancy between IMDb and Wikipedia. IMDb puts it at $25 million, and Wikipedia puts it at $40 million. And that makes a big difference when you look at the worldwide gross of $48 million. <laughs> Because either it made money or it absolutely did not. This movie did not. This was considered a big-time flop, especially for the plans that they had going forward with it. They were going to do a whole universe. They wanted to do a franchise based on this. Love it. Uh, Big-time toys, big-time movies, <laughs> probably oh. breakfast cereals, all this stuff. Uh, it did not work out. Just Alec Baldwin nose costume pieces. Exactly. A Groucho would have probably sued. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. It's different. It no, no, no. It doesn't no, have glasses. No, no. It has a red bandana that barely covers your mouth. <laughs> I'm going to go zero yeah, for the impact. This, this there thing is had, no. wait a minute, Dark Man. Which was before that, yeah. Was it? Darkman came out in 1990. The reason Darkman exists is because he couldn't do the shadow. Okay, but Darkman came out in 1990. So this is a zero. It's a zero. Even with Darkman, it's a zero. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure the impact of that movie is also probably a zero. Right. That is going to give The Shadow one of our most requested <laughs> movies on this podcast at a 2.25. Yeah, it's probably pretty appropriate, that I'd say. feels exactly correct. But it's one of those movies like, yeah, it's 2.25, but I liked it. But I liked it. Yeah, I mean, we have a few of those that are low scoring, but still enjoyable. If you, if you watch it in the right mindset. And what mindset do you think that would be? I think just knowing that it's terrible and wanting to enjoy it for its self-awareness and, and whatnot. Okay, I think that's very fair. Uh, so you like movies that know that they're terrible yeah okay so how about on that note i ask you brian <laughs> what are we talking about next week next week this is fun for me i know it is and let me preface by saying this next week we're talking about a film based on a franchise that we've talked about a few times before mostly on brian's birthday this is true this is, and this is not my birthday pick it is coming the week after this but correct brian's birthday's in two weeks but we're talking about this next week <laughs> instead because i'm a good friend as we were assembling our, our final our final movies for the the rest of the pod show uh dave took it upon himself to add this to the calendar not in my birthday position which i really appreciated because it left my birthday open for for other shenanigans but man, you better oh man. reward me and the listeners for this. You better, <laughs> you better, you better, you better. Imagine the look of surprise on my face when I looked at Dave's potential list of our final movies, and it included 2017's Power Rangers. It seems like this is a good time for a PSA. Don't put together a list of potential movies <laughs> while drinking, because Power Rangers 2017 will be on there. Because you're a good friend, Dave. You're a very good friend, Dave. Famous mad artist from the Shadow Dave. I have a theory about why you did this, and I think it's so you could get out of the way so I couldn't hold it over your head for the entire <laughs> new podcast. That might be true. <laughs> He's on to me. But yeah, next week we were talking about Power Rangers from 2017, the, the movie that's not aware of how terrible it is. Oh boy, I can't wait. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as you think it is. 
Well, we're going to find out the hard way. I guess so. Until then, rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for Hot Tub Time Machine. Email us your questions and comments to katepodcasters at gmail.com or send us messages on our, our social media at katepodcasters and all the things. I actually did get a tweet. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Uh, from Michael P.S. Warren sent a tweet. Hey, Michael. Uh, he says, uh, awesome episode in reference to our Endgame episode from last week. Sad to hear that the format is changing, but I'm excited for the future. Since your new format isn't going to be strictly superhero movies, that means you can review the 2002 classic. You son of a bitch. Master of Disguise. You son of a bitch. Starring the talented Dana Carvey. God damn it, we opened that door again. We did. Uh, <laughs> Michael, I want to promise you something right now. Maybe. Man, a maybe in Brian's book is as good as a maybe. <laughs> I just promised a maybe. <laughs> I feel like whoever does pull the trigger on that, it's going to be like a game of chicken with Master of Disguise for a while. Absolutely. Like one of us is going to have to do it, but when and who? <laughs> Who's going to do it? I anticipate it's going to show up on our, our end of the month list a couple times. Oh, without a doubt. So, without a doubt. We'll that's see, going to be we'll very see what exciting. happens there. Thanks for your tweet. It seemed like a lot of characters to fit into tweet, so I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that you got the entire message in there. Michael... Damn you and thank you simultaneously. <laughs> and also, of course, on Facebook, we always put up a post on our recording days asking for your questions and comments. And we got a couple. Jeff Miners, he's got two questions. He wants to know who's the better Cranston, Lamont or Brian? Brian, for sure. I agree. And we'll talk about him next week as Zordon. You're fucking with me. <laughs> Am I? Well, that's the most fucked up thing in casting that I've ever heard. And <laughs> I'm weirdly intrigued. It's not when you know Brian Cranston's history with the Power Rangers franchise. We'll get there? Oh, now we have to. No, fair enough. All right. <laughs> and Jeff Miner's second question is, what's your favorite Jonathan Winters movie? And Jeff, that's a silly question because it's a mad, 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 mad world. Oh. Hard stop. Yeah. Hard stop. I, I see your it's a mad, 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 mad world, and I raise you one, oh, dad, poor dad, mama's hung you in the closet, and I'm feeling so sad. What? <laughs> that is a, a 1967 uh, black comedy film. Jesus. All that, right. Well, uh, that he was in as the narrator and and the dad. I don't know. I've never seen it, but it's got a great name. It has a very good name. And maybe put it on the end of the the list <laughs> for the new show. The end of the month list. Oh, dad, poor dad. Mama's hung you in the closet. I'm feeling so sad. There you go. The film, and not the, the play. Correct. Of course. And the last question we have is from Phil Hudson Hawkins. He's got a classic fuck, Mary kill for us. Ooh, a web at the head. He asks, the shadow, the phantom, Ooh. dark man. Oh, no. That's a great trifecta. That's really good. And I just want to say right away, my fuck's the phantom. Really? You've seen the tight that, that, purple spandex suit? I know spandex, it's under there. You're He's not hiding anything. You're absolutely And also, right. I mean, if me and Alec Baldwin started rubbing chest hairs together, we're going to get tangled. Which... And not in a Rapunzel way. It's either a good thing or a bad thing. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill the Shadow, and I'm going to marry... Dar no. Can you kill Darkman, first of all? I don't know, but I'm going to marry him, so it doesn't matter. He can turn into anything, can he? Briefly? I can't remember... <laughs> And that's that says a lot. He could change his face to like whatever it needs to be. Like he gets right uh, a hair. Hell, and then he has polyjuice potion. He could even that he made in the girls' bathroom. He, he could even change, change his face into the shadow if he wants to with that big ass nose. If that's what you're into, 
I want him to change his face into a Liam Neeson's because he's my shit. Oh, that is my shit. That's why I'm going to marry him. That's fair. Um, Agreed all around. Fine. We yeah. did it. Again, uh, high five. On that note, I think I also have a wed bed behead for you. Okay. Lamont Cranston, Ying Ko, and The Shadow. Weirdly enough, all three very different looking. So It's it's true. I'm going to marry Ying Ko. Yeah, those nails. The nails. Um, <laughs> you get that little back scratch at the end of the day. You have a hard yeah, day. It's going to be nice. But also, he looks financially secure, and he's powerful, and I like that. That's true. And you can just hang out in his opium den, you know? You don't have to get a job. Right. I'm going to marry Lamont Cranston, because he is a millionaire playboy, because of course he is. That's true. I'm going to kill the shadow, because I don't need that laughing for five minutes The laughing is a bit much. If I get all naked in front of him or whatnot, I can't. I'm going to get self-conscious. I can't have that. <laughs> and the mind control bit, you know? I don't care for that either. That I, I don't need that. I'm sure Ginko can do it too, but no, he can't because it's before no, he, he can't. learns it. He can't. He can't do it. He's just a vicious beast with awesome nails. Lamont could absolutely do it. Lamont uh, Lamont is a is an alter identity, though. If you, if you kill the shadow, there's no more mind control as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm fine with all that. Well, then I think you answered completely correctly. Perfect. <laughs> Phil, Jeff, thank you for the questions. Everybody, thank you for listening. Brian, do you have anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Power Rangers 2017. (laughs) Same pod time. Same pod? There really are no quotes in this movie. 